Welcome to Real World Talk, a podcast that brings together healthcare leaders to discuss the importance of real world data in accelerating drug development and improving cancer care. Real World Talk is brought to you by CODA, a company that combines oncology expertise with advanced technology and analytics to create clarity from fragmented and often inaccessible real world data. Welcome everyone to the CODA podcast, and we're really excited today to have some guests join us here from Ation. So my name is Sandy Leonard. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer here at CODA, and pleased to be hosting my first podcast with all of you. So today we're going to learn a little bit about the Ation Care Program, and CODA has just recently joined. Before we jump in, let's get some introductions for, from the others that are a part of our podcast today. I'm going to start first with Alka Campbell from Atian. Alka, would you mind to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, Sandy. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Alka Campbell. I am the head of scientific strategy at Atian. Um, Atian is a healthcare analytics company that uh, works with sponsors, with payers, with regulators in generating real-world evidence um, on the safety and effectiveness of medicines and technologies. And I'm trained as an epidemiologist, and so real-world evidence generation, all things related to it, is very near and dear to my heart. Excellent. Well, welcome, Elka, and it's great to have you as part of the podcast here. Let me hand it over to our very own CODA's Chief Medical Officer, C.K. Wang, to do a brief introduction before we get into the meat of the podcast. C.K.? Hey, Sandy. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. As you highlighted, I'm the Chief Medical Officer at CODA. At CODA, I oversee both of our data abstraction capabilities and our medical research uh, arm as well to support all of our customers, including uh, our partners, as well as, as our life science partners and clients. And I'm very excited to be here talking about this topic. Excellent. Well, great to have you both here. So let's go ahead and get into the content. Maybe I'll start with you first, Alka. We would love to better understand what is care and, and why is it so important that ATN really set the ball in motion here? Sure. So CARE is a cross-functional, cross-industry initiative with multiple stakeholder views uh, represented where we are collectively trying to understand in what circumstances is real-world data and observational methods best suited to emulating trials evaluating the effects of oncology therapeutics. So to do that, we started out by looking in the literature for all the trials that could be candidates and started narrowing from there based on what we thought was feasible from a preliminary standpoint. Mm -hmm. And now we're working our way through the emulations, making sure that we're putting you know, in place the best study design, finding the most fit for purpose data, and really documenting all the learnings, you know, the good and um, the challenges as we go through each emulation. So we see this work as, as really critical to being able to understand how real world evidence can be best set up to be supportive of oncology, therapeutic development, approval, and access. Olga, another question for you. There's been other programs that have looked to really emulate clinical trials in the past, and I'm thinking in particular RCT duplicate. How does CARE differentiate and, and, and why CARE if we've had RCT duplicate? So I, 
ATAN has was instrumental in the RCT duplicate work. And I think one thing to keep in mind is that that work was focused on therapeutics in cardiovascular disease. And so, you know, as CK mentioned before, oncology therapeutics have sort of their unique issues that need to be addressed. And certainly we're pulling the learnings from RCD duplicate through to care, but there's some more, you know, open questions that still need to be addressed. And I think the other contribution of care that, you know, extends the learnings from RCD duplicate is the fact that we are relying on EHR data sources for the emulations, whereas RCT duplicate was relying on claims data sources. And I think that again speaks to, you know, the, the fact that we're tailored to looking at oncology trials here. I'm sure CK, you have some thoughts about um, EHR fitness versus, versus claims. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's an excellent difference and point to highlight. And in the, in the respect that, you know, I see claims databases as more transactional, right? You can see a transactional, I guess, view into a patient's journey. You can see when a certain procedure is given. You could, I guess, see when certain therapies were actually ordered, not necessarily knowing when they started or stopped. There are some assumptions that are, are put in place uh, when it comes to therapies and claims. And obviously, you can see death. However, the important data elements that are necessary for oncology trials, especially when it comes to treatment response and outcomes, right? Those are only uh, contained in clinical data. And I would say that even the more nuanced or more specific types of data elements that you may be looking for, things such as biomarkers, right? Those are, I suppose you could find them in claims database, it would be very difficult. As I said, there will be assumptions, but however, those types of data, that type, that types of, those types of data are the types of data that one can only extract from the clinical documentation. Yep. Excellent. Definitely. That, that's really helpful to understand that differentiation there. Both are, are you know, very valuable programs, um, but it looks as though CARE is really hitting on a, a very specific need and very targeted, of course, to oncology. Awesome. Well, and it sounds as though you've really pulled together quite a variety of stakeholders to, to join you in this endeavor. Can you touch upon that multidisciplinary approach and why that was so important? Yeah, I mean, I can say, you know, having people from a clinical background is super important for us to be able to understand, okay, where are you know, what kinds of things can we proxy well in real world data and what kinds of things can't we? And that really means that we need someone to weigh in and say, okay, you know, a diagnosis code, for example, is applied in this way in real world practice. And then we can assess, okay, that is a sufficient way of measuring a particular inclusion or exclusion criterion, or it's not because that's just not what we mean in terms of study design. Of course, data experts like CK and others represented within care are critically important. They are the ones that can tell us, you know, yes, the, the data on staging, for example, or tumor response is measured in this way and it's reliable or it's only reliable in certain circumstances. Those are the kinds of questions that we need to really be able to dig into together as a group. And, and we can only do that um, if we have the right experts at the table. Excellent. Well, Siki, I'm going to hand it over to you now. I'm curious, as we were exploring the opportunity to join CARE, 
what did you see that really differentiated CARE? Because there are a lot of other working groups out there, some of which CODA is a participant in. So curious what, what the differentiation is that you see and why it's so important for CODA to be a part of CARE. Yes, Andy, I think that, you know, as we looked at CARE and looked at the working groups that we as CODA are currently part of, you know, we saw some, some great and tremendous value propositions to joining CARE, right? First and foremost is the fact that I would say CARE is solely focused on oncology. Uh, many of the working groups are looking across many different TAs, right? And so, and the reason why this is important in my mind is the fact that Oncology itself is a little unique compared to some other specialties, right? There are concepts in oncology that do not exist in other specialties. And therefore, I truly believe that, that to, to fully use oncology wearable data, and I think you know, we all understand, especially all of us who have worked with real world data, we know that it can be nuanced. It's not, it can be tricky to work with, right? So having that expertise in that, uh, in one specific TA, I think was very, it was very important for us. I think secondarily is the fact that CARE is bringing together, as we already talked about, you know, multiple different stakeholders from multiple different backgrounds, right? But, you know, not only are the, the folks who are participating of different, different training and focus, right? But if you look at the groups that are part that comprise care, right? We have folks from the pharma industry, the data industry, and we also have the nonprofits, which is very important, right? And this is perhaps, I would say, one of the few working groups that we are aware of that has brought together so many different companies and so many different groups from all those different backgrounds. So I think all of those factors put together, we found CARE to be very compelling. And of course, CODA haven't been in and work specifically in the real world data space. Anything, we, we truly feel that anything we can do to help contribute to the use of real world data, right? Whether it's good or bad, right? I think that is definitely a top priority for all of us here at CODA. Definitely. And that was one of the things that I was very curious about is you know, I, now that we understand the goals of, of care and the multidisciplinary approach, what was something unique that you think that CODA can bring to care? And uh, you, you touched a little bit upon why we're there, which is we're, we're all very interested in progressing and learning from how best to leverage oncology real-world data. But what are some of the unique aspects that CODA brings to the table? I think that you know, looking at representatives of the other companies and participants, right, that are involved, I, I think that, of course, I know CODA best, right, is the fact that I, we bring to the table, I think, a very well-rounded and seasoned experts in oncology rural data, right? We have clinicians, biostatisticians, we, uh, and data scientists, and we also have oncology nurses, right, who are very, very versed in the, not just oncology data, but real world data and working with the nuances and complexities of real world data. And I, but I, think, I think independent of that and separate from that skill set that we bring to the table uh, is also the data set that we have, right? Looking at all the real world data contributors that, uh, that are participating in care, 
I do think that our data sets here at Coda is very complementary to the data sets that the other partners are bringing in, right? I will say that we have specialized and focused historically on beheme cancers, and which is a, it's more, it's more niche, so to speak, than just solid tumors. While Coda is rapidly expanding our solid tumor database, I do truly believe that our experience and expertise in the bullet cancers can really help drive and expand the type of projects that, you know, CARE can start up. Yeah. And, and maybe digging into that a little bit more, I'm curious, and, and CK, I'll ask you and then maybe hand it over to you, Elka, um, specifically the benefits of using multiple data sets, data sources for these types of, of working group programs. So CK, if you want to take a stab and then Elka, I'll ask you the same. I th yeah, I think it's an excellent question. I mean, I, I think that, well, first of all, I, maybe to start with, I, I truly believe that no one data source is perfect, right? And that even though there are many groups and companies that work in oncology world data, each company has its own strengths and weaknesses. And, and I would say that, you know, probably to take, you know, coming from more of a statistics perspective, right, is the fact that I think if you only focus and only use one uh, source of data, who's not to say that that data may be biased, right? And so by bringing together different sources, not only are you minimizing or can minimize the bias that you can see, but also knowing that each data source has the strengths and weaknesses, one can then start seeing the similarities and the differences right, across the different data sets and therefore the strengths and weaknesses that may exist. Lastly, I think the type of projects that CARE is working on, right, trying to duplicate, right, clinical trials is the fact that you need adequate number of records. And we know that the more, the more data you have, the more likely that you will get to those usable records to power these projects. Olga, any... Any thoughts, anything that I left out or, any, or if I said anything that, that, that you did not, did not agree with, happy to hear your perspective. No, I agree with everything you raised. And as a matter of fact, I think to address some of the issues that you just raised around, you know, variation and in strengths and limitations across data sources, one of the plans within CARE is to emulate the same trial using different data sources so that some of these differences can be probed further to see, you know, what matters more in, in the, you know, holding things constant. And we can really then, you know, glean some learnings about which data sources are most suited for what kinds of research questions, what kinds of situations, you know, defined by certain sets of inclusion, exclusion criteria, et cetera. So I think, you know, a lot of learnings are going to come out of the care work to address, you know, exactly this issue. But I don't think uh, we should take our eye off the ball of trying to come to a place where we have harmonizable and interoperable data sources to address exactly the problem you raised, CK, which is some of these um, cancers um, for which therapeutics are being developed are in very small patient populations, um, and we need to be able to you know, take advantage of as many data sources as possible, and that requires harmonization, their ability to talk to each other, and, and some other aspects. Excellent. Great, great points. And well, maybe we take that one step further, Alka. I, I know recently a 
maybe one of the first pilots actually was being being read out. Anything you can give us on a sneak peek on that one? Sure. So the first uh, trial was a non-small cell lung cancer therapeutics trial that we emulated. I'm not at liberty to give a lot of details around it. We will be um, publishing, of course, but the a lot of learnings came out and particularly around what kinds of analytic methods are needed to take or to address, you know, real world phenomena like treatment switching, right? Things are not as neat and tidy as they are in a controlled trial uh, protocol. So we need to implement analytic methods that was loud and clear from this first emulation. And we look forward to applying those in, in our subsequent emulations and sort of building incremental knowledge about how best to emulate trials in oncology. Excellent. Well, we'll be looking forward to, to that coming out. Maybe we dig in now. I mean, you touched upon kind of the controlled clinical trial and, and how different that can be from the real world data. There's been a lot of a lot of interest recently from the FDA's accelerated approval on oncology guidance. And so Olga, I was wondering if you could speak to really the relevance, particularly for oncology and RWE overall, and how care is is really well positioned to help be a part of that conversation. Sure. I mean, I, I read that guidance. I think it dropped in April of this year with, with great interest. I think we should keep in mind that it's draft, so things could change. But it seems to represent a shift in FDA's thinking around evidence in that's generated to support approval in oncology. So historically, I think we all know that oncology products can be approved based on evidence of effectiveness from single arm trials. And, you know, given, you know, assumptions that tumors don't regress on their own spontaneously, you know, observed tumor response rates were a good basis for facilitating accelerated approval with obviously with confirmatory evidence generation strategies in place. With this new draft guidance on accelerated approvals in oncology, FDA seems to be signaling more of a, an interest in having controlled trials. And so where I think care fits into that is if that's the shift in FDA's thinking, you know, randomized controlled trials are not going to be um, feasible in all circumstances, um, especially for these very, you know, rare indications and uh, rare tumor types. And so being able to understand, okay, in what circumstances can real world data provide that control information in a comparable way to a single arm trial that was facilitate an interpretable result. So I think what we're doing is can very much support sponsors' ability to, to meet those evidence standards that are set forth in, the, in that new guidance. Excellent. Well, I mean, it, it, the guidance definitely does seem to lean towards the RCT continuing to be that gold standard. And I'm gonna press you, CK, is it and should it be? Especially as we think about patients waiting for life-saving, life-changing therapies and the time and, and the resource that, that is required for a fully controlled. Gosh, and Sandy, I mean, this is a loaded question, right? I will say that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer from a scientific perspective and then a more clinical and practical perspective, right? And I think from a I think scientific perspective, I mean, this, yes, randomized controlled trials are really, 
one of the best ways to test the hypothesis, right? Control for confounders, right? To understand what's maybe noise, so to speak, right? And to make sure that what you're seeing and the results that you're seeing and measuring are not random occurrences, so to speak, right? That they are true, right? I think from a practical perspective, you know, this is where I'm very conflicted, especially as a clinician, as an oncologist, you know, who has participated in run trials, you know, clinical trials previously is the fact that randomized control trials are difficult. It is difficult to convince a patient to, to go on what they consider to be exper uh, experimental space and not know exactly how they're going to be treated and what they will be receiving, when they're facing a life-threatening and emotionally charged disease such as cancer, right? And so inevitably, it took a lot of education. Can't, I don't want to use the word convincing, but you are trying to convince the patient that this is the right thing to do, right? And then you bring in all the other factors, right? Transportation, the, the demands of the clinical trial. It's just more common than not, patients decline, right? Or do not meet criteria because the standards, right? For the trials are so strict. So, and then now more and more when clinical trials in oncology are focused on those rare mutations where those patients are, are extremely difficult to find to begin with, you can see that that issue compounds very quickly, right? Yeah. As a result, I think in the practical sense, I, I think RCTs should be conducted when feasible, right? So these larger patient populations where you're not going to have problems finding the patients, right? However, in today's world, in, in oncology therapeutic development is the fact that no longer are they looking for this broad patient population. So I would say that, on, that in many scenarios, especially in oncology, I still believe that, that single arm trials in the absence of RCTs is a close second. Now, however, you know, how, then the question becomes, how do you account for you know, bias, right? Take into account the, all of the confounders and also measure the endpoints, you know, to a level of certainty, right? That can be duplicated, right, subsequently. And 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 I will say, I think one of the reasons why the strap guidance came out was the fact that many oncology drugs have been approved through accelerator uh, approval single arm trials that either fail to approve or or prove right similar effects in RCT, right? So therefore, this question of whether or not that single arm trial and the readout from it was, was real, right? Comes into question. You know, I, I will say that I think the FDA is still developing. I think their direction on this. I do think there is still room for RWD and RWE to supplement single arm trials. As I would say, proof of that was the fact that is the fact that the FDA I believe it was late last year, release of draft guidance, right? On what they think are sound principles, right? When it comes to using real world data to support single arm trials. So I do think this is the evolving space. Uh, it was a very long answer to what seems <laughs> mystery for a question, 
But I think there's room for both. But I think it's about finding the right use cases for the RCTs. No, it's, it, I didn't give you one of the easy questions, CK. So um, that, that is definitely a tough one. And if you were able to answer that in 15 seconds or less, we all would have been putting you up on a million other stages as well. So, so before I, I get into some, some future thinking questions, Alka, I want to ask you an, a, another question around, you know, you, you touched a bit uh, around what were some of the initial learnings of the pilot that's, that is coming out in Lung. I'm curious, as you've been bringing together all of the, you know, the individuals, the companies, the thought leaders for care, what have been some of the, your, your biggest learnings or, or surprises just in the, form, in the forming of this group and the prioritization of the, the studies that you're looking to emulate? That's a very interesting question. I would say one of the first things that struck me, and it shouldn't be a surprise given the group um, that we're working with, but... It, one thing that struck me was how engaged everyone is, you know, that this is, you know, everyone has day jobs. This is to some extent, you know, people putting in extra time. And it is really gratifying to work with a group of people who are experts in things that I am not expert in and, and all have the same goal. So yeah. that part is great. I would say, you know, on a more you know, from a more scientific learning perspective, I think something that came through in our early work together when we did a literature review, looking at published real-world data emulations of um, oncology trials, was how varied they are in terms of um, level of detail specified. And what we're learning as we conduct, you know, the early pilots, and I'm sure we'll continue um, on, is of course, and this will be no, no surprise to, to people who conduct real-world data studies, the details matter. And so being fully transparent on those details, taking care to ensure that those decisions are as rationalized as possible is super important because they could have impact on, on the result. And so one thing that we are trying to be very conscious of based on our learning of the literature is is that documentation and rationalization of, of the details as we proceed is, is really important. Well, def definitely. I, I think that that is a significant learning uh, already. So looking forward to seeing the output, but just that initial process, like you said, of the literature review and understanding what's already out there is, is incredibly helpful. Well, as we like to do here at the podcast, we're going to close out by asking you guys to put on kind of your, your forward thinking hats, pull out the binoculars into the future. So, you know, Alka, I'm anticipating that CARE is going to be wildly successful. You'll, you'll produce a lot of very important learnings. I'm curious what that means for oncology research five years from now. I, what I hope to see five years from now is that we take the learnings from this kind of like proof of concept exercise, if you will, and be able to expand the scope of evidence on the safety and effectiveness of oncology therapeutics beyond what is generated in a randomized controlled trial as part of the approval process. So that, you know, underrepresented groups, non-represented groups in the development process are represented in evidence and decision makers are able to rely then on, on that broader scope of evidence for 
really, you know, life-changing decisions for patients so, and their families. So that's where I'd like to see is that, that we really are building an, you know, a knowledge base that allows us to understand the circumstances in which real-world data and observational methods can be used to generate reliable evidence and that evidence addresses gaps that exist today. Very aspirational. CK, the same to you, five years from now. I would say Olga essentially summarized everything. <laughs> that was great. I mean, I think that if CARE can accomplish all those goals, or even one of them, right? A handful of them, I think that, I think the contributions of the working group to the entire ecosystem, right, would be quite profound. You know, I will say that I think from a clinician's perspective, you know, I, I think that I'm hoping that the learnings, right, will help us better use real world data. I see the value of real world data. And, you know, back to kind of why EHRs were used. I mean, one of the, one of the aspirations, and I think this has been President Barack Obama stated that, you know, it, that it would serve as a research database, right, on its own, where we could derive insights, right, from. And, and sadly, since the adoption of EHRs, I would say very little data has been used to that purpose. And so, and part of it's just not knowing what to do with that data, right? And so I'm hoping that some of the learnings from CARE will help, help us realize that very initial purpose and vision of EHR adoption. But I think from the real world data in the oncology space, you know, obviously we've talked about, you know, the challenges of accruing patients to trials, right? But the need to also continue to expedite, you know, drug development, bringing, you know, effective therapies to market and, and to those who need it most. And, and I'm hoping that this exercise will shed light both the positive and the negatives, right? In the use of real world data in this in support of this, this mission and goal, right, of bringing therapies to patients faster. And that together, you know, because this is such a, you know, a wonderful network, right, of professionals and of companies, of nonprofits that is that we will work together and find a common thread, right, uh, in what we're working on, and then and hopefully applying it to help accomplish that goal. Excellent. Very well said, both of you. Well, let me take a moment here to thank you both for joining us here on the podcast. And Alka, I will say on behalf of CODA, we are very excited to be an active participant as part of the, the CARE program and look forward as more of the research and the publications and the learnings come out to perhaps have you come back and we can get into some of those details. So thank you so much and everyone have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Real World Talk. For more episodes and to understand how we can all bring clarity to cancer care using real world data, please visit us at codahealthcare.com. We look forward to having you next time on Real World Talk.